you know, we got to talk about this stuff for kids because eventually you become an adult and you feel like you're not prepared and you struggle with relationships. You struggle at work because nobody really taught you these things. You just kind of like figure it out as you go. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Danny Lopriori, and today I'm joined by Dr. Kojo Sarfo, DMP, I mean, he's a doctor, social media content creator, mental health nurse practitioner, and a psychotherapist. I mean, just a very well-qualified man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Kojo Sarfo. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I appreciate that. First question I wanted to ask is, I know you're a host of Late Night with Dr. Kojo. Correct. And you're also an author, but I want to talk about the Late Night Show. How long have you been doing the Late Night Show, and how did that idea kind of come to be? I've been doing it for about a year now, and uh, we've been streaming on Facebook primarily. And I got the idea from my friends. You know, I was talking about, you know, doing social media. And I had last year this time, I'd been doing it for like two years. And I was kind of getting burnt out. And I felt like I wasn't connecting with the people, you know, with mm-hmm. algorithms. If your content is popping, people will see you. And then, you know, people might not see you in their timeline for months. So I kind of felt disconnected. So my friends were like, hey, just go live as often as possible. So we turned it into a show. And people started tuning every night. So it like boosted my motivation. What came with the aspect of, of the late night aspect? Because when like you hear like late night, you know, you think of like the Jimmy Fallons and, the you know, all that other stuff. But what made you get to the concept of late night, which I'm very interested in? That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking of, you know, Jimmy Fallon or all the other guys who have their shows. I wanted to make it like a primetime type of thing, because with mental health, the only way that well, it's not the only way, but the best way, in my opinion, to talk about it is to put it in ways that people would like to consume it, right? So if you're talking about entertainment or sports or recent events, like I remember we had one live stream where we talked about the slap, the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always looking for ways to tie it and make it relevant because I have ADHD and it's hard for me to focus unless I'm interested in a certain thing. So yes. if I'm putting out stuff that I wouldn't watch myself and I can't, you know, expect people to watch it. So I thought about putting in like a late night format and giving people like a, a reason to tune in because I don't like, you know, regular mental health content where kind of like right. when I was in school and I would talk to the psychiatrist for hours. I'm like, what's the difference between bipolar one and two? And we have to like sit down and do lectures. That's not fun. Right. So right. people have to ha- digest it in like fun and relatable ways. No, I agree. I mean, you know, that was a another thing that I noticed just from like your social media imprint. It's when I started this show, it was like, you know, I'm a comedian. So I was like, you know, this is something you have to show the levity side of mental health to almost make it bearable in my experience. I completely agree. Yeah. So when I see your content, ironically, that I could relate to, but also it's like, oh, yeah, like it actually raises uh, actual topics, like real right. things people should talk about. You're good at at posting about talking points. So keep that going for sure. You're very good at at getting your message out there. But before we go, you know, further into what you're doing now. So you're from Ghana. Correct. 
right? How old are you when you moved here? So I left Ghana when I was one, you know, or we left Ghana when I was one. It wasn't my decision. No, that'd be kind of dope if you were one years old and just moved out of the house. <laughs> right. Yeah, that'd be pretty lit. I'd be a boss one year old. We actually went to Norway first, you know, um, Europe. So we stayed there for like five, six years. And then uh, I think in 99, we moved to Nashville and we've been in the States ever since. Okay. You see anybody black in Norway? Not really. To be <laughs> Not really. So it was weird because I moved to Nashville and it was a culture shock because, you know, my parents wanted to keep us out of you know, trouble because we lived in projects. So yeah, during yeah. the summers, they would force us to go to take classes at Tennessee State University. And okay. then I would learn about like what happened in the 60s of racism. And I was shocked. I didn't even know that that stuff existed. You know, America's done a pretty good job of trying to hide all that stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, that happened here. They're like, yeah. Right. Like 30 years ago. Right. Which is not that long ago. Which is not that long ago. If you yeah. if you really think about like if you think about World War II, like it really wasn't that long ago still. Yeah, right. Because people who were alive, you have veterans who can, you know, come into like your show and talk about, you know, yeah. like reading about Hitler in the news, which, which is, is different. Wildly insane. Wildly insane. So when you're young, when's like your first ADHD memory? There's so many of them. Where do I even start? I couldn't even read until I was in second grade. I was like always behind. I remember a girl called Amanda. She sent me like a little note. You know, when people will flirt back in the day with the yes and no. Yes, um, so you like me yes or no. I couldn't even read that. So like people were looking at me and I was embarrassed because like I was, you know, behind on, on reading. And, you know, it took me a long time to get things done. I was actually in special education classes in elementary school. Part of it was because my parents used it as a way to get me to a better school because the school that we were zoned to, you know, and, and the project wasn't a good school. So Looking back now, I would call it ADHD moments, but I didn't know because that was just my normal. I thought people took forever to get things done. I'd be shocked that kids would get stuff done and not have to do work on, on the weekends. But that was just kind of like my life. And you know, my mom was like, she would reject any type of diagnosis. You think about like old school, like I have old school parents, right? Like all of their parents are immigrants and stuff. For them, it was even like that. I can't even imagine what two African parents right. <laughs> would even think about even it going. Was yeah, I can't even imagine. And then also, like, when you're a kid, you really only think of, like, things are very black and white. It's like, you're either smart or you're dumb. Right. It, that's that's just your thought process. Yeah. So then you see all these other kids, like, prospering and doing whatever and finishing their work in, like, ample time, and you're just not able to do it. You know, it's very hard for you to, uh, I can't even imagine, like, so you're 10 years old, you're in Nashville, right? Right. When did, like school click for you like what was your kind of aha moment like were you one of those people who were like blessed enough to actually know what they wanted to do when they were a kid no i wanted to be a police officer <laughs> when i was a kid oh, yeah, yeah I, I don't even know why like i just yeah, wanted yeah. To be a cop. i thought those were like the tough guys so i wanted to be a cop growing up i would say it clicked maybe fifth grade and it was because i would look at my siblings and they were so successful and like they had high grades and it's funny because my parents would compare us to like the asians and they'd say, oh, your Asian friends are, are staying during the summer, but I'll go to their house during the summer and they'd be playing PlayStation. You know, right. But there was always this pressure to like get an A and nothing less than that was acceptable. So eventually I had no other option but to like read books. I was kind of like forced to like study, you know, the same way like you have like kids who their parents put them in sports and they want them to be the next Michael Jordan. That's right. how it was in the African household. So around fifth grade is when... That was like my first year of not like barely making it to the next grade. So you've been a doctor since sixth grade. Essentially, yeah. 
Essentially, right? Unlicensed yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, an unlicensed one, but you could probably, you know, hook some people up if they needed it off the books, off the books. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're struggling to read at second grade. Right. Three years later, it's kind of getting honed in that you're like, you know, going to become a doctor, right? Right. For the most part, you know, give or take a year or so, right? <laughs> right. Did at any moment you feel like you were just being forced into becoming a doctor? Yeah. And even maybe looking back to like a couple years ago, and it's unfortunate because I tell my parents sometimes that like they would get their pride in what their kids did, you know, and they will compare themselves to other parents. And like if no, those kids were doctors and like, you know, that's just the standard and you wanted to make your parents proud. You know, so I'm just fortunate that I didn't know that, you know, get my degree and go to social media. But I'm fortunate that I found a way to become a doctor that I actually enjoyed, you know, because mm-hmm. at one point it wasn't about enjoyment. It was about, you got to make your parents proud and like, you got to pay the bills and like, that's what you have to do. So I feel like I'm extremely fortunate that I found a way to, to make it fun. Cause like I could very well be working in the office and not enjoying my job and I'll be doing it right now. Right. Right. I think that's an important message. You know, parents for the most part, you know, they, they want the best for their kids, you know, for the most part, if you're in that kind of household, if you're blessed enough to have that, but you know, it's kind of tough when you start to get older and you want to make decisions for yourself, you know, as a young man, and it's tough, that parental pressure, but I can't imagine though. I don't blame them though. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I can't imagine that they ever wanted. It's one of those things where if you really look at it, right, you guys immigrate to Norway, then you immigrate here. Right. right. You're already starting behind the eight ball. How much English did you know? I knew a lot of English. In Norway, we spoke English. You know, it's funny because I was in ESL classes. They want me going to school like in the ghetto. So right. They no, the school, finesse. Like, right. We, we couldn't speak English. I was teaching the, the kids, the Hispanic kids English. <laughs> like I was the one teaching them because like I had great English, but like we, we had to like play as if like my English wasn't good. I, I couldn't read, but like I knew how to speak it. Right, right. So, like, made you just pretend you couldn't speak English. Immigrant parents are the illest finessers of all time. They just know no, they are. It's like, remember when you leave this house, you do not right. speak English. But for them, see, they see they were looking out for you. Right, they're coming from a place of like survival, like you know, and yeah, I can't even imagine mental health. Like a lot of times, we're in survival mode, and in some ways, I'm probably still in that survival mode. But you know, it's like, oh, you have to make sure you can pay the bills. Boom, boom. So, like, you're gonna finesse the system. And you don't even care about mental health. It's like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to lie and pull some strings. And if you can pull those strings, you know, most parents would do it. Let me tell you something, man. There was just that whole case where people were creating like fake sports profiles for their kids. Remember, like the woman from Full House did it with her daughter to get into Stanford or some shit. Parents love will go. They will finesse whatever they can finesse. Right. Not going to imagine. Yeah. For their children to have a better future. So, you know, listen, you couldn't read English and you graduate high school at 17. Right. I need to know more about this academic glow up. So first of all, my birthday's in November. So I had a late birthday, right? So when I came to the States, I actually, I almost got held back. Like I was this close. I was this close, but um, I just- That's a sentence as a kid though, because everyone remembers about you (laughs) No, I I was extremely scared. Like I didn't want like the girls to know that like, yeah, right, I'm second, yeah, yeah. I'm a second grade again. So, like, it came from a place of fear. I just didn't want to be like in the second grade line, and like you see the girls in the third grade line, and then they're gonna be in fourth grade next year, and you're in third grade. So, yeah, like, man, that's gonna uh, that's awkward lunch. 
No, it is. I probably would have asked to have been transferred to a different school, you know, because that's like the worst. It feels like death at that point. That's social you suicide. Know? You know, that, that, it's so it's just like, you know, like, there's no way I'm going to be able to overcome this. It's terrible. It definitely is. But my educational journey, I was a good student throughout middle school up until uh, eighth grade. I kind of just got through eighth grade and I went to a magnet school, Campbell High School uh, in um, Smyrna, Georgia, in Atlanta. But it was an IB program, right? So this is a program for like the smartest of the smartest kids, you know, international baccalaureate. But I was like the, I hate to say, but I was the dumbest of the smart kids. So hey, nothing wrong with that though. Right. I was just barely getting by, you yeah. know, and I, I had like a two six GPA. And that's when I started to struggle in high school. And then, you know, my dad, I remember I was 17 and he was asking me what I wanted to do with my life. And I was like, oh, I might, I want to rap or and he was like, no, what do you want to do? I said, okay, I'll go into the medical field or something. And he recommended nursing. Just to get him off you, right? He was like, just, uh, right. yeah. He told me to promise him that I would do a two-year nursing degree and he would leave me alone. You know, so I was able to do that. But it was me being like a, a failure in high school that made me a good college student. Because like, that was embarrassing. Like I, I barely made it through from ninth to 10th to 11th to 12th. So that failure of, you know, being like the worst. All the kids knew, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how many, I went to summer school all four years of high school. All right. So you, you can relate. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's tough because not that I wanted to be the smartest kid, but you don't want to be like at the end. You know, it's kind of like I running a race. You can't be the dumbest, bro. Right. There has to be somebody below me. Yeah. Yeah. Know, there's got to be a few folks to point at a little bit. Right. So, you know, he's the, at least the 2.2. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so I barely made it through, but having kind of like, bad grades. And, and I didn't get into any schools in Georgia. I was denied from all of them. So I was like, oh, shit, it's time for me to like book up. I have to, this is like, it's now or never. So I went to nursing school at the University of West Alabama. And like, I would listen to Lose Yourself by Eminem every day to like, put myself, like I had to psych myself up. And I, I took that seriously. I didn't have the college experience. I didn't get to chase girls. Like it was like life or death for me. Let me tell you something, man. Africans crushed the nursing game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For, for <laughs> yeah. They get after it in the nursing. They do. So you were doing like ICU stuff, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was in their ICU. So how does a kid because, you know, I'm, uh, you're like 20, right? You're like right. years old when you start doing ICU. So you're 20 right. years old doing ICU. I consider that a kid. You're 20. No, nah, um, yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and you have ADHD, right? Right. Kind of a tough field to have ADHD in, right? Yes and no. So. It wasn't until I got to the mental health part that I was actually like, I felt like I was a rock star. But in the ICU, for whatever reason, I couldn't get that job down. I don't know if I talked about it on social media, but I got fired from my first nursing job in the ICU. Well, we all we all love firing yeah. stories. I got to hear it now. So they pulled the okie doke on me. You know, like <laughs> you have like a, a set amount of time to do orientation, right? So they kept extending it for me. They're like, all right, we think Kojo's a smart guy. And then at some point, I kind of got it, right? But then, you know, my dad was telling me to come, because I was in Macon, Georgia. My dad was telling me to come to Augusta and work at the psych hospital there. And he was like, oh, they'll pay you more. But I'm like, no, I want to, you know, stay in Macon. And if you do like two years in the ICU, you can go do, you know, a nurse anesthesia and make six figures. So that's what I was thinking. But um, I actually, I decided to leave the job. So I put in my, you know, two weeks and then the manager at the hospital, he was like, no, you're such a, like, you have such a, a bright future. Don't go to psych, mental health. Nobody wants to work with crazy people. You don't want that. Like, those are his words. Already the stigma, like, even within the, the medical. Yeah. 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 He, he was like, you don't want to work with those people. You're going to lose your skills. It's not a glamorous job. 
So I was like, I took back my two weeks. I'm like, you know what? I'll stick it out a little bit longer. So when I took back the two weeks, a week later, they ended up firing me. He did reach back later after the social media stuff and say he was proud of me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, w- I would hope so. You know, and right. I'd take credit for it. You know, if I didn't fire you, like, you know, it probably wouldn't have worked out the way that you want. It did suck, though, because at that point, I was like, I, I don't think I can be in the medical field. Then I went to the psych hospital back in Augusta, Georgia. And that's when it started to click. That was probably the first time that I looked at ADHD as being like a superpower. If I could get rid of it, I would. But like, it felt like a superpower. Yeah, because so much would be happening. Like I'd be in a psych hospital and you'd have a patient smearing feces on the wall. Somebody's making like a rap album to the left. Somebody is like spitting on the floor. And then in the next room, somebody hasn't got out of bed in like a week. But because it was so much going on, I was like, perfect. All right. It's kind of your brain already. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'll take care of you. I got you. I got you. What do you need? I got you. So much was going on. And like, I was able to multitask and get a whole lot of things done. And that's when I was like, you know what? I think I kind of like this. Yeah, yeah. I always say, me personally, I perform best in chaotic situations. Yeah. If it's too calm, I have too much like uh, free reign over myself and it's it's not yeah. going to go well. But I don't like that. Yeah, if you put the buzzer beater on, like you give me 10 seconds, like most exactly. times I'll bury it. Like I'll bury it. Yeah. But it has to be chaos. Right. And you have ADHD as well? No, I've never been diagnosed, but I do suffer with some attention deficit for sure. It's something exactly. that I've actually looked into getting, you know, evaluated for. But what I am, I'm bipolar type two, severe panic disorder and you know, generalized anxiety disorder. And then um, when I first got diagnosed, they diagnosed me with dysthemia, which is like a low mood. Yeah, just low, just a low mood boy. So they were just like, yeah, so um, that's what they gave me. But um, I just remember being in school, they tried to get me to take like one of those evaluation tests, but like I caught them. <laughs> so every once in a while, like we would have a kid in our school that had an aid, right? So you go to school and you never wanted to be one of those kids either. Right. That had an aide that sat next to you the entire class, like when the, you know you got chicks over there. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Don't, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, like yeah. it's embarrassing. Mom. Yeah, I got my fucking school mom now. Like, <laughs> and then even like you were in special ed, right? Like, right. How old are you? Thirty. All right, so you're thirty. So you're you're I'm thir- I'm gonna be thirty four. So back then, for people that are listening that don't know, there was not like specified special ed. They were just like everything that was special was in one room. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're there for like ADHD and then there's like a poor kid with a helmet on. You know what I mean? For, like, yeah. you know, it, I mean? Was all, it was all in one. Yeah. Yeah. That shit was that shit was, you know, and that was my my fear was if I go into this room and take this test, I'm going to end up down there. Oh, so, so you dodged it. So I dodged it. I knew what they oh. were like onto and I refused to take it. Like I'm not taking any tests. So what they ended up putting me in was alternative schooling program within my school which my morning started with smaller classes. Oh, okay. So like, instead of having 20 people in a class, I had eight. Ah. You put me in a class with 20 people. One, I won't shut the fuck up. And then two, I'm fucking, I'm all over the place. They're overstimulated. Overstimulated. I would take 25 minute bathroom breaks. Like they were like, this kid can't like, you know, we have to keep an eye on They, You know, they were basically locking me in rooms, like make sure my senior year of high school, I had to go to summer school and I don't know if you've ever been to summer school, but there's some, dumb, there's some dumb motherfuckers in, in summer school, bro. Yeah. So, like how you were like in your program, how you said you were like the dumbest and the smartest. 
Right. I was the smartest amongst the dumbest. <laughs> so I was the king of the summer school. So they were like, yo, this motherfucker could do it. a rock star. Yeah, there's like, yo, this motherfucker knows verbs and adjectives. Felt good. Felt mad good. I never wanted to leave. So uh, <laughs> that was the only thing I loved about summer school. But they said, if you keep going to summer school, we won't put you in special ed, but you have to go to these alternative schooling program where you have this smaller. But the cool thing was, is in the morning, I had all the small classes, but then in the afternoon, I had classes like with my friends and shit. What do you think you were doing in the morning? So in the morning, we would all have to like check in. It was like for trouble kids. I was a troublemaker when I was a kid. Like, you know, I was drinking, I was smoking, I was cutting class, like chasing girls, playing sports. But like, you know, I was just getting after it. You know what I mean? Like, this is it for me. Like in my head, I was like, I'm not going to college. I got recruited to play division two football, but I was like, I'm not going to. Oh, okay. Yes. But I was like, I'm not going to do any of that. I belong to the streets. So you know, <laughs> okay. That's like where my head was at. Like my mind was made up. Uh-huh. So, you know, they were like, listen, we need you to graduate on time. And I was like, oh, like, this is really nice of them. Like they want me to graduate. A couple of years later, I realized that they just wanted me out of the building. You were like the ringleader. Okay. I was the ringleader. And like, they were like, dude, you're such a, but all the teachers loved me. Because in the behind whatever I was dealing with, I was a good kid. You know what I mean? Right. They, he's the fucking knucklehead Smith. You know, right. but like, you were, they knew you were a smart kid. You just had to apply yourself and be yes. put in the, the right yeah, situation. I was one of those kids. I don't know if it was like this for you. I would read a chapter in a book and the chapter would be done. And I'd be like, I don't know. Well, I can't remember a fucking yeah. thing. Yeah, know? I have to read lines twice yeah and even when i was in school i would have to read lines with my fingers and stuff and it's like you see i still do that i still do it too <laughs> i still do it too yeah. i have to it's the only way i can absorb uh right. information and i remember just them being like listen you got to go to this alternative schooling program so it was called hasp hastings alternative schooling program so they made sure like we got to school on time they'd like call our house and shit oh wow and they would have a student run court so every friday we would have student run court so like one of the students would be the judge we would have like student jury and we would have these offenses that they would pull out like skip six period wow like skip this skip that and you were just governed by your peers so us like being able to govern ourselves kind of they let us like run the inmates run the asylum we held each other accountable and we were and we were able to actually you know when you put stuff on paper and put it in front of your peer. You don't want to be embarrassed in front of your peer. You know what I mean? And then one of your friends has to give you a detention sentence or in-school suspension sentence. You know, like this is like stuff you have to do. That's how they kept track of our homework, kept track of our grades. So without that alternative schooling program, I don't think I would have ever graduated high school. I probably would have just dropped out and got my GED like down the road. That that was a blessing. It was, it was. And the only thing that was good about it was I was still able to go to like some normal classes with my friends that I played football with and stuff. Cause I went to a very small school where kids went to Michigan, Wisconsin, Harvard. Oh, wow. like you know, those big schools. Okay. Big school. So we were the poorest kids in a really nice town. My parents worked really hard for that. And thankfully, my grandfather built an apartment complex in the town. So we were able to live there and use it as our primary address. Oh, okay. So like, oh, oh, okay, that's neat. Yeah, with the zoning finesse. So that's why, like, yeah. I know, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, we were blessed to have that. But you know, for me and maybe you as well, I love the social aspect of school. 
Yeah. I hated the academic aspect of school because I was afraid that if I tried and wasn't smart, I would be dumb. Right. So I'd rather just not try and be a class clown than be potentially dumb. Yeah, that that was me. Yeah. In ninth grade, if I could choose between getting an A on a test or like, you know, having a day where like I have like seven big laughs, I would take the big laughs. Like, especially from the girls. Like, it just made that's where I prioritized by far. When you're a kid, that's really all that matters when you're like, yeah. a, you know what I mean? I wish I was more driven at a young age. You know what I mean? It's very admirable when you see kids, 15, 16, 17, knowing what they want to do with their lives. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm dude, I'm 33 and I still have things I want to do. Like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing most days anyway. Right. But a lot of those kids now, like, have become burnt out as adults. Like, the, the, yeah. the kids who are like, touted as like the child prodigies. All that pressure. I'm not even sure what's better, like to be like a failing student or like the rock star student. I remember, listen, this this show you how bad I was at school, right? So I'm at my high school graduation, right? And I'm sitting there. They're like, yeah, this year's valedictorian is going to like come up here. And I turned to the person next to me. I go, what the fuck is that? (laughs) You know what a valedictorian was? I had no idea. I had no idea. And my friend just starts cracking up and he goes, yeah, don't worry about it. So I was just like, like, what is that? Why is she getting an award? She was like, oh, she had the highest GPA of everyone in our class. I was like, oh, yeah, that does. Yeah, that doesn't. I, mean, I, I give you a pass on that. I, I knew that, but I didn't know the, the next one, the salute. I didn't know that shit, too. Yeah. OK, I didn't know that one. They're all confused and shit with the high school diploma. I'm like, yeah, I don't even understand. When I graduated, they gave me a diploma with no diploma in it. I still had to go to summer school. <laughs> Yo, they just gave me a book. This shit was empty, bro. Yeah, I swear. I swear on anything that's holy. (laughs) Yeah, they handed me a fucking, they handed me a fucking pamphlet like this. That's not right. With nothing in it. (laughs) And then I had to go to summer school to get my actual degree, bro. That's how they wanted me out of there, dude. They were like, it's a maniac. Get him out of here. That's not right. Yeah, that shit was so, but I flexed that fucking cover, dude. I flexed the shit out of it. They were like, yeah, open it. I was like, nah, nah, just take pictures like this. I was just stunting with that shit. No, but that's why I was going to talk about this, because a lot of kids have these struggles. And even my younger brother right now, like he's trying to get through 12th grade. I keep telling my mom, I'm like, hey, some people's brilliance is best, like shown outside that academic setting. And there's no mental education in school. So like if you need a little bit more time, like they'll give you the accommodations and there's the 504 and all that. But people don't really know what to do with a kid who is like gifted differently. You know, yeah, I, I was just saying it on an episode before it was like, you know, the, what would have helped me the most learn is if they taught me like how to write a check, how to fill out a job application, how to fill out a, a W-9 real life goals that like, obviously I'm going to need like, you know, you know, Becky over here with the 4.0 GPA, she could be in like super English and like all like these amazing like things. She can study calculus because she right. on that trajectory. I think we kind of have to read kids' trajectories a little bit differently and not, you know, not segregate them, but also just allow it to be part of the curriculum that, you know, we're going to have some people that come through here that are going to need to learn the basics of life sooner than some other people that are more privileged. Yeah. And I think things are going to change. And like, I don't have any kids now, so like, I'm not like figuring out like like i'm not in tune with the curriculums and all that right, but right. i would love for them to talk about this stuff in schools because there's kids who are like silently suffering who may not have an outlet and, and luckily like that's why i love comedy i was always like 
Like yeah. I would laugh my way out of a bad day. So like it would hurt a little less, but like I still have like a 65 and like I would still need like an 85 to pass the, the class heading into the, the last, you know, the exam, the final exam. Yeah. So like we got to talk about this stuff for, for kids because eventually you become an adult and you feel like you're not prepared and you struggle with relationships. You struggle at work. Cause nobody really taught you these things. You just kind of like figure it out as you go. Yeah. They got to teach people domestic shit too in school. There's a lot, there's a lot of real life that doesn't happen in school. And I know that they say, you know, you're supposed to learn a lot of stuff at home, but not everybody has the same home. Yeah, exactly. Not everybody has the same privileges to go home to. And, you know, I was one of those kids for a couple of years where I would come home and both my parents would be at work. Yeah, same here. And I'm just like, all right, I'll watch Dragon Ball Z and like eat Chef Boyardee and like, you know, and not do my homework, but like say I do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's like kind of how we grew up for a while. So like, you know, I think a lot of people have a hard time really understanding how difficult it could be to be 12 years old sometimes. Yeah. And like, I feel for these kids, you know, with social media and, you know, we had the isolation with the pandemic is really hard, you know, and you throw in financial issues. You know, because like I know that's like like my parents, you know, they lost the house during when the economy went down. The house was foreclosed. So, like, you know, you have that shame, you know, going to school and you have to move from a house to an apartment. It, it's rough. I should have fucked you up, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To talk about mental health. I'll tell you that. It's all trauma, you know, it's, it's all trauma. trauma. And trauma's cumulative. Yeah. As much as like, you know, people think, oh, it happened 15 years ago or that happened 10 years ago or it happened two months ago. It's all cumulative. It all it becomes this compound menace that kind of just sits on your back. And then, you know, you know, because there's times where you'll have triggers for stuff that happened to you in your life. It's crazy how the first thing in your mind is, I got to fuck shit up. Right. You know, for me, this is how I'm wired. I'm like, I'm just going to fucking go nuts. Yeah. You know, and like that, that, that just seems like the most. It's a normal thing. thing. Yeah. Like it's a know, normal thing. This is happening to me right now. Everyone around me is going to suffer. <laughs> you know, like this is like yeah. how it is. I've done that. You know, it's all forms of it's self-harming the way and self-sabotaging, sure. you know, but it's a way to like cope with what you're dealing with, you know, and nobody teaches you about these things, you know. So it takes one person to stand up and say, All right, I have to get my life together. I have to do something that might not be understood by other people around me. Kind of like when I was, well, this is grad school, but like when I when I got diagnosed with ADHD and, yeah. you know, my mom, she was driving my car and she opened up the um, thing, the glove compartment and she saw like the Adderall there. And she like, she had like a meltdown because she thought that her so son was like a drug like, user. Right. Because she had to Google it, you know, mixed amphetamines, you know, so like she had like a breakdown, but I'm like, mom, like I'm in grad school, I'm overwhelmed. I probably needed this in second grade more than the prayers, but right. hey. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, God is good. Medicine, God right. and medicine combined are like the superhuman. Super, super. Yeah, I, I got put on a shirt. Yeah. Sometimes you just need the meds. There's no yeah. way around. I tell people on the show all the time, you know, you're a medical professional, but I'm not. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, different strokes are different folks. Medication saved my life. That's just my story. That's the only one that I could put out there. I'd be lying to say if it didn't. It helped me have a be able to come out of a psych ward and have, you know, some kind of normalcy and get into a rhythm of normalcy in my life. I owe a lot of that to medication, 100%. Like when I look online, a lot of times people will, you know, people say, oh, give me a video about how to improve your life and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes the answer is just medication. Sometimes you just have to go to a provider 
and you may need medications, but there's still that stigma with it. And even for me, in my first book, I wrote the book the way I wrote it. I highlighted the chapter where I talked about ADHD because I wanted to take it out because I thought that people, because I didn't know I would do all this, but I thought that if I was successful one day, people would say, oh, he took Adderall and that's why. Right, right. And then you got your poor mom. She she Googles Adderall and like future lyrics come up and shit. Right. Yeah. That's another thing. It was, oh, this is what rappers use. And then like if you that's why it's so good to talk to a medical professional, because if you go down the, the Reddit threads, you're going to psych yourself out. Okay. You know, you're going to like, oh, a chance of psychosis. No, you're going to start hearing, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't you gotta, you gotta try it. Like I tell people sometimes it's like if it doesn't work out for you, it doesn't work out for you. Like I tell the story a bunch. But like when I got diagnosed with depression, they brought in Lexapro and they were like, hey, like, yo, like straight up, like your dick might not work out. And I was like, what? And they, were, exactly yeah, said it. yeah, they were just like, yeah, Yo, you like you might not be able to get boners and shit. And I was just like, no. And they were like, yeah, dude. And I was just like, damn, dude, that sounds pretty fucking depressing. Like, what am I going to do? I can't get a boner. And the doctor like just started like cracking up. But like, you know, it's one of those things. They have to tell you all that. Yeah, stuff. you absolutely. Have. And like I've had patients come back to me and they say that they haven't taken their medications and because of sexual side effects. I completely get that. Because yeah. like if I took a medication, Lexapro, Prozac, whatever, and I couldn't get up, I don't think I'll ever take it again. Like yeah. I might be done. Yeah, dude, it's tough. It's one of those things. To like, be honest, I might be yeah. done. Yeah, dude, you can't be just be coming in this room telling me I can't bust a nut. Like chill. You right. I mean? Like I'm, you guys are fucking with my whole shit. Right. And if you don't have a stable girl at the, the time, it, it, you know, like a girl you can trust. Yeah. You know, it's embarrassing. You, and it's going to affect the like, relationship. Talk about you and, you know, scary. So right now, like your main, your main type, like psychotherapist, right? Am I saying that right? They're all right. They're okay. all right. Yeah. So what are like the difference, you know, for the audience, aka me, psychologist, psychiatrist, psychotherapist okay what are the foundational differences all right so anybody in the mental space is technically a psychotherapist right okay. it's kind of like an umbrella term so when you think about psychotherapists you think of psychiatrists psychologists psychiatric mental nurse practitioners physician assistants who specialize in psychiatry okay social workers as well counselors you know family managed therapists that's all psychotherapists you know, so anybody within the mental health space, you can kind of give them that umbrella term psychotherapist. Okay. Then between psychiatry and psychology. So under the psychology umbrella, these are professionals who are, I think these are the best psychotherapists, in my opinion, right. because they kind of focus just on therapy for the most part, oversimplification, but for the most part. And then you have the psychiatry branch, right? Where I'm at, you have the psychiatrists at the top and the psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and the physician assistants. And they specialize more so for prescribing the medications, right? So if you're on the psychiatry side, they pretty much pay you the big bucks to write the prescriptions because the psychologists and everybody in that umbrella, they can't really, they can't write the prescriptions. So it's the psychiatry side. That's why the salaries are a bit higher. Right, right, right. They got the book. They got the book. Right. You know what I mean? It's all about the meds, yeah. It's all all about that book, baby. But no, so like for you, do you see a therapist yourself? Like, are you guys like, I do. you guys are like mandated to do that shit or like you just do it because you want to? We're not. We're strongly encouraged to, you know, during our education, but you no, know, I was never mandated to do so. But I saw a therapist for the first time during a pandemic. Oh, okay. All right. Do you think it should be mandated? I think it should be strongly encouraged. It'd be hard to like mandate it, but um, if they provide people with the resources to where they don't have to pay out of pocket. Right. Then I could get on board with that. But you definitely need to 
I mean, what I'm saying, if you're in the mental health space, you need to go to therapy because we're hearing things every day. Or like if you're practicing, you're hearing things every day that are traumatic. You yeah. know, like if I talk about suicide, that's a very regular conversation for me. Trauma, you know, trauma, you're getting trauma dumped on all day. Yeah. And when people find out what you do for a living, I might be playing basketball with some like this has happened. I'll be playing basketball with somebody and then we'll be talking and they're like, oh, man, like, hey, so let me tell you what saved me from suicide. But knowing how serious of a topic it is and knowing how few people will talk to me about that. I'm like, all right, okay, like I'll get to five on five, but they just want me to listen. Right. So I'll listen for a minute or two. Yeah. 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 I learned that lesson the hard way once I was walking down the street in New York City and I rolled my ankle and I just saw like a a nurse coming out of like Cornell. (laughs) No, no, no. It was New York Presbyterian coming out Uh, of Presbyterian. I was like, yo, do you like know what like this is? And she just looked at me. She was like, just go inside, man. I was like, you know what? This person is not on the clock and I'm bothering this person right now. Yeah. Fucking ankle. And she was like, just go inside, man. And I was like, you know what? I'll never do that again. And I just realized how rude that is. Some folks are like that. The reason I don't mind because I don't know, maybe I like hearing myself talk or like I like engaging in conversation with people and like I lose track of time. So I just be talking forever. I think because of the nature of what we do, we do need to be in therapy. You know, and when I went to therapy, it was it was weird because I felt like I was taking a test where I felt like I was cheating because like I knew the answers. You know, it reminded me of when I um, I cheated on a test in high school and I used like a TI-83 calculator. My friend put the answers in oh, and no. I was like, I'm like, what'd you get? He said 86. I'm like, now I have to figure out which ones I have to answer correctly, you know, but I felt like I, w- I was cheating. But it, it was refreshing because I'm like, wow, I get to talk about like my feelings. And oh, yeah, you know, during the pandemic we were isolated. And, you know, like I was seeing double the patients and like substance use and all that was oh, business like was through cool. the roof. Yeah. Right. A lot of folks are struggling. So I didn't have time to really like process it. But like I was seeing a lot of patients. And like I even remember like there was a time when I'd be on call at a second hospital and I would fall asleep throughout the the night because you can't fall asleep when you're on call you should kind of right. be up and like i flew my brother in and he will come and play like playstation throughout the night and then whenever they called me at the hospital he would wake me up and i'd be like yeah uh yeah yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah give him uh Zypre- Zypre- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i was so tired but like it was good to take care of my mental health and just talk to somebody like i needed that no of course i feel like as people without degrees we almost become like a uh, therapist for like our own communities. You know what I mean? And majority of the time, we don't know what the fuck. We're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. you went to school for 20 years and like learned all about this. I'm over there. Like, you don't want to come ask me. I'm just like, it is what it is. Like, that's not going to help anybody. No, but it will because you're given a more realistic look at it. And sometimes people right. like to, I think our issues, professionals, not that we don't tell the truth, but maybe we're not as blunt. Like for me, if I'm talking to somebody, like when I was playing football in high school, I like the coaches who would just tell me, like, hey, you miss your block. Like they would tell me, hey, do your fucking job. And then I'm like, okay, I know what to do. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes doctors would say, oh, there may be a small chance. Uh, no, like you might have a hard time having an orgasm. You, you might put on a lot of weight. Yeah. Like you have to be authentic. So if you talk to somebody with lived experience, they'll tell you, oh, this to do that, this to do that, but it's still worth it. And I think the average person, would rather talk to a real human being. And even with social media, like I would love to drop the doctor off my name one day and just be, just talk like as a human. Yeah, like, your parents would kill you though. <laughs> yeah, they, they wouldn't they would like that. 
No, <laughs> that's why my mom kind of instilled that in me when I was a kid. I was like, if somebody has doctor in front of their name, you call them doctor. And I was just like, I was like, my, my mom the same way. Yeah. Because they worked really, really hard for that. And they're spending time to like be around you, like respect the work. And that, that was like kind of something that like I would always be like, yo, fuck them motherfuckers. You know, like, fuck you, Dr. Baker. Like I had a Dr. Baker and I was like, yo, you're not even a doctor. And like, I didn't even know that a doctor like you could be a doctor of of education. I was like, this guy. Can't oh. <laughs> I was like, yo, fuck this dude. This dude ain't no fucking doctor. I never see him in the nurse's office. I was like, this guy. Yeah. Up. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things for you, though. So from 2020 to 2022, have you seen an increase in black Americans or black American immigrants coming in like willingly to therapy? Yeah, not as much as I'd like to, but I am seeing it. Why do you think that that's still such a big struggle now? Like within our community, first of all, we don't talk about these issues, number one. And it gets deep, you know, like a lot of, you know, black men feel like they have to be Superman to the world and then come right back home and be Superman. And like, I've had this issue in relationships where like I've actually left relationships or situations where I'm talking to a woman and I'm like, hey, like when I come home, like I need a safe space too. Yeah, but, I, need to kill for, I need to decompress. No, I, I do. But it's like they expect me to be have my cape on. Like I need, I'm coming home for a safe space. Now yeah. that's what my, my deal breakers. If I can't have a safe space, there's no point in being with you. Like I have to be a human being as well. Yeah, you know? no, I feel you on that. Like, yeah, if I can't so be much. a bitch out there, like I want to be a bitch in here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I should be able to like tell you embarrassing things or like, you know, like I should be able to be yeah. human because as a black man, like you're dealing with racism, you're dealing with oppression, you're dealing with, you know, financial issues, you know? So sometimes you don't want to smile. Like you just want to yeah. put your head down and go to work. So if you feel like you're misunderstood, which a lot of us are, there's no point in talking. You're like, oh, why would I talk to somebody if they're not going to get it? Because then you're more frustrated. I opened up to the person and they're like, uh, okay. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll never talk again. Yeah. And I have friends who are black and I'm like, yeah, like why do they were just like, we just don't trust white doctors. And I was just like, yeah, I never even thought about that. That's another I mean, thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, like, I don't know, man. Like we, we don't trust. We, I don't yeah. know. They're like, you know, which is amazing that that what you're doing is what you're doing now, because you're probably opening the door for a lot of young men, too, to feel comfortable and come and see you. I appreciate that. And, and I felt a lot of guilt when I left, you know, full time practice to do social media, because I, I knew a lot of black people and black men wanted to kind of see me. And like when I left, you know, I had some patients who were like, all right, Dr. Sarfo, like, I appreciate you take care of yourself. But like, I could tell that I was legit sad because I knew that. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. For like, you. I'm leaving. They're just gonna find somebody else who can push the pills, and like, you're gonna have a, a random person who you can't connect with. If you can't connect, you can't tell the truth. So that did make it me feel like their hearts a little bit. There, you were walking. They were walking out of the office like this and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, it was tough, man. It was tough. Yeah, like, dude, I can't believe you're doing this to us right now. Yeah. It's the truth. It's the truth, though. Yeah. I remember when I was having a conversation with my friend and I was like, yo, like, I never really thought of it like that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's just the, you know, it's the the years and years and generations of trauma. It's like, how do you trust people? A lot of people want like a black therapist because it's kind of like, let's say you go to the gym and you're playing pickup. Sometimes like with us black folks, like you might look at somebody else and not say a word, be like, I can talk to him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you can open up to that random person more than like a white doctor. Not the white doctors are bad. Like I would encourage you. It, it's a privilege in 
America to be able to get mental health services. Like if you can get it, take it because there's such a, a lack of professionals, you know, and there's so much that goes into being able to get a diagnosis. So I say take it if you can get it. But when the person doesn't look like you or if you can, if you feel like you can't, if like you tell them your story won't connect with them or they won't understand you. Or I remember one time when I was in, in school, the psychiatrist, a great psychiatrist, super smart, right? But he's an Indian guy and he was looking at a black patient. And the black patient, this is 24, this is when Young Thug was starting to come on the scene, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the black patient was outside rapping Young Thug. And I'm like, hey, I like that song, you know? And I saw a psychiatrist come by and look at the patient and observe for a little bit and go back and write, oh, responding to internal stimuli, like he's hearing voices. I'm like, no, I'm like, that's Young Thug. That's Young Stoner Life, <laughs> you know? It's funny, but it's it's like, it's kind of <laughs> It's kind of sad. People won't stop yelling free YSL. Right. You know, I'm like, that's a song. Like he's rapping the words accurately, yeah, but yeah. it's a cultural difference. So you think that he's hearing voices, yeah, you know, he's about to give, give him antipsychotic magic. He's just vibing. You're right. You can get an antipsychotic just from rapping Young Thug. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, and then, cause I remember like me and my friends, cause you know, I'm a, I'm a therapy advocate and stuff like that, but I was talking to my friend and he literally looks at me and goes, what the fuck is a white man going to tell me about being black? And I was like, damn dude, you're kind of right. You're right. It's one of those things. It's like, it's a tough go. It's a tough go. But you know, like I said, for even what you're doing with social media though, like even if you like back off, like you said, like a little bit, you're going to reach more people on social media than you are probably sitting in an office. If we're just being honest about it. Yeah. Cause it's not like you can go out and just be like, throw out 1-800 phone number commercials and shit. It's like, you got trauma, but you know what I mean? Just like chilling. It's like, you can't do all that. So like what you, what you're doing, what you're doing on social media and you're also making it approachable. A lot of social media, uh, mental health, social media. So fucking sad. Yeah. You know, it's just like, all right, like we get it. We're sad already. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of want to laugh at what I'm dealing with now, because if I don't find a way to laugh at like any kind of hardship in my life, like I don't have control over myself. Like I'm just allowing myself to be like this self-loathing, you know, victim to what I'm going through instead of like being proactive about it and like getting after it. You know what I mean? I don't like the sad stuff either. And of course, there's a time and place. Sometimes there's a spreading sad sound. Yeah, I'll do that. But I don't like the... I want it to be lively because if I'm feeling depressed, like I don't want to. And it's funny because my ex-girlfriend, like a couple years ago, I remember she would she would want to listen to sad music. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to stay there. I want to like I want to get up. Like, yeah. I want to feel something. If I, you know, I, I need to get up. I need yeah. to be lively. Everything has to adapt to the world we live in now. And that is, you know, that's including um, politics. It's including medicine. It's in, you know, everything's on social media right now you can go off the grid you want but that's just not like that's just not how the world works anymore right sadly but we have to adjust we have to readjust you know if you look at it if you go back to barack obama's first term right so like barack obama's first term he was so gangster with it that he was like i'm gonna do this social media shit yeah i remember that Make youtube videos and i'm gonna do this and do that and that's how he got a lot of the young audience yeah to rock with him and get out and vote you know what I mean? And then you fast forward a few years later, Donald Trump runs for office and he goes, what's popping now? Oh, like reality, fucking messy nonsense. And he's like, I'm just going to do this. 
And he got all those people that were the trailblazer in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That were biting their tongue while Obama was in office for eight years. Yeah. Right. You know, and then they, and then Trump was able for them to kind of rip the bandaid off and, you know, just go fucking ham. But what I'm saying is that there's people behind that, all of those things mm-hmm. that are pushing the urgency to be adaptive. So, right. like, so what you're saying, well, like, what you're doing, you know, bringing levity, but also keeping it science science based is right. a field that like nobody else can really do besides other you know other professionals. Right. Yeah. That's a great niche to be in. I'm starting to realize that. Like maybe the past yeah. five, six months, I'm just not real. I didn't understand any of it. Like I didn't get why people watch this stuff until like recently. It's starting to kind of click for me. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, dude, in 2013, I made a song about sucking titties. And yeah, I've ever seen that video. Yes. <laughs> that video is funny because I told my publicist, I'm like, that video made me want to do this podcast, to be honest. See? See what I'm saying? And that's what I tell people all the time, bro. Yeah, from a song about sucking titties. I'm on a podcast now trying to help people save their lives. You know what I mean? That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. I travel the United States, do podcasts for a living, man. And it all started from depression, being bored, having nothing to do, not feeling like I could be with my friends and singing in a room, singing in a room, drunk and high. Oh, so that's the backstory to that video. That's the backstory of that video. Because there ain't no titties in that video. I'll tell you that. Right, they know they ain't no kind of wow. video. that's just a fucking broke, depressed, wow. fat, sad guy just that can sing and wants to bring happiness to the world because I was getting that instant wow. gratification from people being like, "Yo, this shit is fire," and then like every three years the song like resurfaces and like goes <laughs> like platinum again. So I'm just like, you know, any Twitter about boobs, my face is on there. So, wow, you know what I mean, like. So I was able to get lucky enough to like etch myself on like social media. Like, you know, if I die, let me suck your titties will live on forever. You know what I mean? It's a classic. It's a classic. classic. So, you know, and it's like, I tell people you have to be adaptive, be ready to be adaptive. Like you said, you listen, you listen to lose yourself. You know, the one shot did not miss your chance to blow. It's a, it's, it's true. You know what I mean? And, And you, at certain times in your life, you have to just be able to like, adapt instead of feeling bad for yourself kind of figure out how the fuck am i going to get to this money how am i going to get to this happiness how am i going to get to this relationship that i want to be in and it becomes part of the struggle now is it an everyday struggle yeah but you know there's certain things there's certain things in life you're going to do wrong there's certain things in life you're going to do right but if you do it with the right intentions you're going to be in a good spot you're going to land in a good spot overall yeah, and people need to hear that, or maybe people need to see somebody who's done that so that they can see, okay, I can do it as well. Yeah, do it better than that, me. That might be the only push that they need. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've never been a hater in my life. And I think that's why a lot of people rock with me the way that they do, because they're just like, yeah, like he's just about like, you know, he's transparent. He tells us when he's not in a good mood. He tells us when he's in a good mood. You know, I put on good shows and, you know, I, I kind of just trust myself and trust my talent to be like, you know, this is going to get me so far, but it's sooner or later you're going to have to, you know, adapt and put the work in. Right. And, and I respect that. I love authenticity. Like, just be who you are. You don't have to be, just whatever you are, just be that. Because yeah. that way, I can't read between the lines. It's hard for me. Like, I just, just be who you are. Yeah, man. And listen, man, when you do stuff that's comedy based, it's a little more lenient. You know, you have a little more leash, but even comedy is adapting. Like, you know, shit I used to be able to say when I was, 
you know, now it's yeah. like, now you got to like be a little careful sure. things you say, you know what I Most mean? Most definitely. And it's performing. But like, I look at it like this, right? It's like, if I go on stage and have a joke based on pronouns, right? I could still deliver it, but I have to frame it a different way. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if I want to use the word like gay in a joke, I have to frame it a certain way. You right. know, so like, or, you know, if I, if, if I want to touch these taboo areas, you have to like frame it a different way. So it's just yeah. like, it's like, you have to do all that now. So like, that's one of the kind of things that's annoying about like comedy space right now. It's an art and it's tough. And I've always kind of thought that like, let's say you're making a joke about pronouns. I would imagine that if somebody who is identified a certain way, you know, who you would think would be offended by it, actually laughed and appreciated it. then that'd be like, oh, okay. Like, that's the sign that I can move, or or if you're making like a a joke that has to do with like gay people or straight people, if everybody can laugh, then it's like, oh, okay. Then it's like he's big up on us, like, oh, he yeah. appreciates us. He doesn't hate us for who we are. Yeah, and it's it's all about just like being well constructed in everything you do. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's something that I'm learning the older that I'm getting. It's like you know, there's still stuff that I could be a lot better, like you know, more make myself a well a better like well oiled machine. But like, you know, I had a heckler like during like a pronoun gig and I was just like, like, oh, like, what are you, well, like, I was like, yeah, I was like, what are your pronouns? Like, you know, like if it's they, them, like I'm fucking all y'all up, you know, and, 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 and they like, and, you know, and they laughed and they're like, all right, that's pretty good. Oh, they, they laughed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah okay. If you come from a point of like, just being like, listen, I'm talking about this because you guys should be heard. And like, this is something that needs to be a conversation. You know what I mean? Let's have a conversation. My whole thing is. Let's have conversations about everything. Right. Because everybody deserves to be able to voice their opinion. You know what I mean? And it's hard for me, though, sometimes when you're in the comedy space, you got to be a little more careful. Do you do stand up at all? Yeah, I had a couple of open mics. We did a, um, a comedy show last year here in uh, North Hollywood. Okay. Nice. All right. How much time did you do? I'm at that five minute mark. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So if I bomb, it's going to be a short bomb. I don't no. have a long bomb. This is not- a short bomb and just take it from there. No, nah, bombing is awesome, though. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. This is why bombing is awesome. There is no other feeling in the world other than bombing. And for you to experience something that not many people, one, have the confidence to do. Right, right. Right. Or have had the opportunity to do. You got to really think about that in the in the essence of it. It's like you could do that same five minutes in one room, fucking kill it. Just like, you know, absolutely, you know, have the whole room laughing. Right. You could do that same five minutes somewhere. Crickets. You know, you have to learn that. Yeah. You have to be able to deal with both sides of that. It's like if I do a show and I do all my shows in New York, sell out all my shows in New York, but like only sell half the tickets in another city. Like that's a humbling like experience. You know what I mean? As men, we need to be humbled sometimes. I agree. Because we're born arrogant as men. We're, we're born to be, you know, alphas and told to be like, yeah, you have to defend this and provide that and do all this stuff. When a man gets humbled, that's when you see like his real character. That's how I feel. Diversity, yeah. Yeah. Once you get humbled and realize like, oh, like this opportunity is not here anymore or this didn't go the way I wanted it to, how you respond to those things is the best. So when you bomb, you should be like, I'm going to go make this five minutes even funnier because I know it's funny. Yeah, I like that in a weird, perverse way. I like that feeling because like say it's humbling. And then after after the bomb, 
your true thoughts kind of come out. Yeah, bombing is fun. Bombing you know? in a weird way, bombing is funny. Yeah, right, because they're watching you struggle. Yeah, deliver jokes. So, like, whenever I bomb, whatever I say in between the jokes is way funnier than that. The yeah, actual that's one. the stuff they laugh at because it's like awkward and it's like, all right, you know what I mean? It's like it, it takes so much confidence to go into a room full of people you never met before and try to be funny. Yeah, and as I think it's so much harder today, and that's why I have so much respect for you as a comedian because in my short year and a half of doing comedy, you know, whenever I, I go on stage, regardless of what I talk about, and especially on social media, I want people to know that, all right, I support people of all kinds, of all races, all sexual orientation. Like my platform is for everybody. So I'm always trying to make sure that I don't step on any toes because people can clip something and take it out of context. And I don't want people to think that I don't support certain people. So comedy has this extra like layer of nuance that has been added to it. Yeah. which is the job really hard. It's hard, but the best thing about being a comic is that you get to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Oh. You can have bits that go both ways. So like when you write a bit, write them both ways. Like write it from like a supportive standpoint and then like almost from a non-supportive standpoint. And oh. then you have both of those things and they become kind of one joke. So like- Oh, oh okay, wow. When I, I never when, that I, so when, I, when I spoke about the pronouns, I was like, listen, like, you know, in, in essence, I was like, listen, like people should be able to, you know, have their pronouns and be respected, but give us a little time to catch up. You know, like you can't expect. Uh, okay, okay. You know, so it's like, you can't expect me to know your pronouns if I just met you right now. Right. You know what I mean? And Okay. That seems fairly safe to me. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You kind of touch both realms because that's how you garner like, you know, especially in like open mics and stuff like that, you kind of, it's, it's better to get the entire audience. So like, if you have people that are on one side and then have people that are on one side, you know, it's all inclusive. The person who can do that, I feel like you can sell out shows then because you get, because yeah. comedy brings people together. Cause yeah. if you saw the show, not everybody in that show was going to be Democratic or Republican. You have some oh, people, yeah. independent. not everybody's going to be straight or gay, but it's going to be people from all walks of life. When you can have them in a room, and you have them all laughing because of you. Yeah. You know, that that's what I'm saying, man. Like there's no better feeling than that. I've voted Democrat my entire life, but I had I had a Trump supporter at uh at my show, and I was just like, Oh, anyone here like voted for Trump? And like he raised his hand and like people booed him. And I was like, Whoa, whoa, like give him a second, let's hear him out. <laughs> and then right after I was like, Where were you on January 6th? So, like, you know, it it comes right. back in to everything else. Always control the crowd and control. Yeah. Always control the crowd. The minute you let them control, it's it's over. It is over. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're Mother like just walk you're off. someone in the face and shit. Like it, it gets it gets like ugly. You know what I mean? You have the microphone. You know, stage presence is a big thing. You know, and I'm really just getting started on the on the big show like circuit. Like you know, like three four hundred people in rooms and stuff. So it's okay. Like, wow. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things. Like just keep doing it. Just keep doing it fucking bomb go to like every like bro if you can get a laugh at an open mic you're good i'm going open mic tonight in fact you know how hard it is? yeah you know how hard it is i'm getting close to the camp you know how hard it is to make people laugh at an open mic it's extremely hard yeah that's the hardest shit in the world yeah it's the hardest shit in the world I'm, also it's other comedians too so their standards of what's funny or not is probably higher yeah. so they're just really waiting for their time to go up there they're just waiting for you to go 
Yeah, and you know what I mean? And also, like, the comedy world's, like, a little, it's, it's clicky, too. I've seen that. I'm here in L.A., so, like, I see it all. I try my best to stay out of it because I want to support every comic, but, like, people have their own circles that they move yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. You'll see the more the more and more you get into it, but, you know, just, I would just start every set with, like, I'm a doctor. Like, suck my dick. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm here just because I want to be. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good. Y'all motherfuckers are struggling. I'm <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I would leave Doctor. Oh, I would have the confidence to do that. Do you curse in your material? What like what's your material based on without like giving away? Just my life, childhood, like all the unfortunate stuff that have happened to me and every intrusive thought that comes with that, that's what my material is at the moment. Good, good. And just always right. Always right. Okay. Always right. Like, you know what I mean? So it's it's you have to be writing all the time. I had to get like like an iCloud update. Just so I can just like keep writing. Oh, I know. So, so everything you think of is a no. Yeah. So the way that I write my jokes is I'll start with a premise. I'll do that kind of thing that I told you about. Like, oh, if I wrote it this way, how would it come off? If I wrote it this way, how would it come off? But still authentic to the way I want to get the joke off. Then I'll have the beginning of the joke, reading the crowd, seeing what the reaction is, and then the end part of the joke. So I'll have like, I'll put space in there for improv, knowing that I'm coming back to the end of that joke. And then we're on to the next thing. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Because my shows, I do 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. All right. Wow. And I'm doing like original music and shit up there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I got to come to a show for sure. Yeah, wow. yeah, no, I got you. I got you. It's one of those things is you just got to write all the time, literally all day. When you go to bed, write for 10 minutes. Like my fiance, thank God, I love her so much. She falls asleep so fast. And I have like an hour at night where I'm just able to be like, right. oh, yeah, this would be funny. That's like, when the best thoughts come at night. When yeah, you sleep, especially for like, guys ah, like If you can take the racing thoughts and then turn it into magic. Why not? Why not? Wow. And then, listen, like you seem to be like me, like I'm an attention whore. I've always have been since, uh, you know, I was. I, I like attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, it's one of those great trade-offs, man. What I'm telling you, and you probably know this. When you tell a joke and it lands and people are laughing and having a good time, there's no better feeling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because you know the work that went into it. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just such an amazing human feeling that, you it's know. Elite high. Yeah, yeah. It's just, You can't match it with anything else. You know, yeah. and you end up chasing it. And, like, that's what you're doing now, which is, like, a, a which is a beautiful thing. And I'm really, really happy for you that, you know, because what you 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 did was brave too. You could have stayed in that field, played it safe, not you know, not wanted to do your own thing. But it takes a lot of balls to do your own. Yeah. Thing. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, I think the old version of myself every single day. Because I don't know what I don't know how I I got the confidence to up and leave. You know, a stable job, six figures. Like like I had I had everything kind of set for me, and I'm like, nah, I wanna I wanna start over. Yeah, no, and like I'm telling you, like as as the days go on and the more like mics and and stuff that you do, it's only gonna get it's only you're only gonna get more and more confident. You know the type of comedy that I do, it's like you know I would have fun at an open mic and and you know honing my skills. I've always told people this too. It's like I never got into comedy to like have like Dave Chappelle see me from across the room and be like, I'm doing it for me, right? Not the press of the comics, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I don't, don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's just like everything else. It's like you go to a gym. Like you always have somebody that could lift more than you. There's always somebody faster, taller, the more definition. 
There's always going to be somebody funnier than you. There's always going to yeah. be somebody, you know, cleaner in terms of like their, their time and whatever they do uh, when they're on stage. You know, I look at, I go to open mics, if anything, just to, for inspiration to see people do their thing. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like to see like, wow. You get a lot of that there, yeah. I get a lot of inspiration from that type of stuff because I'm seeing people that aren't able to do it full time for money yet. Mm-hmm. And they're out here like chasing their dream and getting after it. Like that's like real fucking admirable shit. You yeah, know, no, I respect it. I respect the shit out of it. I respect the majority it. folks can't do that. No, man. Just like on a Tuesday night and then like you go home, like, you know, after work, I'm going to go do five minutes at this small ass like fucking bar and go home and like chill after that. Like, I love that shit. I love people that could do it. It's not for me, but I respect that entire art form. Yeah. And for me, I wanted to do open mics because like I heard a like I want to respect every field I come into. Like I spent my 20s in school to get my degree. So if I'm going into comedy, I don't want to take shortcuts. And if I have over three million followers online, I, don't, I mean, I'll still do shows. But let me tell you like, something. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Every comic would tell you do the opposite. What shows over open mic? Go get the money, dude. But hear me out. I want to make sure I'm actually funny because you can be funny, but. If you're funny, but you don't know how to put it together, it won't work. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. right. So if you do a show with people that love you online, when you like somebody, you feel more inclined to laugh. Like, <laughs> sure. You know? Sure. But like if you're on a date with a girl and you like her a lot, you're snapping. Ah, right. You know, it might not be funny, but like you want, you know? You can be the funniest guy in the world. If you can't sell a ticket, no one's booking you. True. That's true. I learned that here. Yeah. You could be the best looking, funniest, fucking most talented guy in the world. If you can't sell a ticket, no one's going to fucking book you. To each their own. But for me, it's like, let me get this money while I'm doing this. And I'm learning as I go. It's about being good to people. And ways that I respect the community is I'll put people up before me that haven't played a room with 200 people in it yet. So it's like, I'll sell the tickets. In return, I want you to come be on my show and I'll give you the exposure because I want people to know how funny you are. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, why do you think Dave rolls with Donnell all the time? Because Donnell's fucking hilarious. Yeah. You know, everybody knows Dave Chappelle. Not everybody knows Donnell, but everywhere Dave is, Donnell's there. Okay. I, I see. Because I know Donnell. He, he's a legend to me, but the average person, oh, you're right. Yeah. You need people that are going to heat up your crap. And like any comic that I've ever put on my show has been someone that's been in it longer than me, been doing it a long time, and I want to give them an opportunity and exposure. That's how I give back to like the artistry of it and the community. But I want to get paid though. No, you're right. This is a timely conversation because when I did the show last year, you know, I brought my friends who are comics who I respect their work. These are people who I would see them on TikTok and then I'm like, oh, they're so funny. And I I came to LA and now we're friends. I'm like, these people deserve, maybe they don't have the followers, but I'm like, this person is funny. They have a good spirit. They want to help people. They deserve the platform. So I got to get that show going and, 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 and get them on there. Yeah, man. Just produce your own shows. Produce your own shows and have fun with it. Because dude, if you go like, look, at, if you look at Kevin Hart, like a lot of people will be like, yeah, like, oh, uh, like Kevin Hart's not that funny. I would just be like, yo, it doesn't matter if he's not funny to you. Yeah. This motherfucker is selling out football yeah. stadiums. Yeah. That's probably the best example because. I prefer Kevin Hart movies more than his stand-up. I think he's funny, but I like his movies more. But a lot of people, they'll say nowadays that he's not funny. But I get it because 
he's a businessman. You have to protect your, you can't say everything. And then he doesn't want, he's kind of the same bull as me. He doesn't want to offend any different population, yeah, yeah. you know, but he's still got 30,000 people buying tickets. Yeah. So somebody yeah. said motherfuckers funny. Yeah, no, he's probably I mean? the most successful comedian of all time. Yeah, man. Don't downplay your success. Maybe it's that internal yeah. imposter syndrome. Oh, we all have it. I have yeah. it from time to time, dude. I was watching my my stand-up from yesterday because we're all narcissists. So I'm watching it just trying to make sure and clean up and seeing what I have to do different. How could I make this joke better? And I had that too. I'm like, well, why the fuck am I on there? And why are there so many people there? And why are people laughing at what I'm doing and spending their hard-earned money to come and see me? But Those you have are the worst get, thoughts, yeah. You have to get out of that, man. People love you, bro. People fuck with you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you, that for real. You just got to embrace it. You have to take it as something as, you know, I worked hard to get here. This is a culmination of all the work and and tears and depression and happiness and all this emotions and, you know, and physical trauma, mental trauma. And here it is. You know, we're all going to be dead one day, man. Like, enjoy your life. Bro. You're right. This is like the, the third conversation I've had this year where I'm talking to a friend and they're like, life is now. Like whatever yeah, you want, man. you gotta do it now. You gotta do it now. If I make it, I'm 80 years old or whatever. If God blesses me enough to get there, and I'm sitting there all old and shit, and being like, why didn't I try to do those shows? Yeah, why I try to yeah. do this. Like you know what I mean? Like I got shows coming up in Boston, Providence, Philadelphia. I'm based in New York. I got shows I'm working on in Toronto, like Montreal. Like why wouldn't I want those opportunities? Yeah. I worked hard for him too. This is the same advice I would give my patients. Like, you know, besides the meds that I give you, because meds help, but I'm like, I want to show you that I believe in you as a person. Like, make plans for things that you don't have the money for. Like, dream big. But yeah. sometimes like, within ourselves, we're like, hold on, let me... Sometimes we're, we're a bit too realistic. I do think we should yes. be a little more delusional, respectfully. You know, if, if I say that, people take the wrong way. But, but you, I you know, know what I'm saying. saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. You got to dream, dream bigger. Yeah, you got to dream. You have to dream big because no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. But you know what I like, though? I like to go to open mics. And if I feel it, like, it, and I'll go up. But, like, I want to go to open mics, see a kid do five minutes, talk to him after. I'm like, yo, I got a show in Buffalo. You want to come do it? And paying it yeah. forward. Paying it forward. You know, I hope someone that, that opens for me is bigger than me one day. And that's the energy you need because good people know good people. That's all. That's all, man. And listen, we all have things about us that we wish were better. We wish we all, you know, for me, a perfect example, I could speak nicer to people sometimes, like close to me. I could be rude and I have a fresh mouth, you know, like that's something that I want to work on, you know, but like a majority of myself has used to convince myself that I wasn't a good person. Uh, you know? yeah. Now I've gotten to a point with through therapy and medication and a little bit of self-enlightenment and having conversations with people such as yourself, it's got me to a point where like, you know what? I actually love myself and I'm a good person. I'm flawed. Yes. And I've made mistakes in my life, but I'm a good fucking person. Right. I need to start treating myself as such. A good person who can do bad things from time to time, but that's a, there's a big difference between that and a bad person. Yes. Yeah. There's a big distinction. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that's the, a part of the authentic part that we were talking about before. It's like, you know, I always tell people that want to do social media and want to do this stuff. It's not all it's cracked up to be, but like, you know, if you're having fun doing whatever it is that you do, dude, if you're a fucking phys ed teacher and you love that shit, I'm yeah, jealous. You of won. You. Yeah. I'm yeah, you I, won. I'm jealous of you. I'm like, that's a damn dude. Like that's awesome. Like you're happy. 
people's your dreams. Yeah, people's idea of comfort are different. Not everybody's idea of comfort is being a multimillionaire. Right. You know, some people is, is being able to just have two dogs, a, a girl, and travel and and you know, my biggest idea of That's comfort not that either. My biggest idea of comfort is when I go out to dinner with my fiance, I don't have to worry about the check. Yeah. You know, me too. I love that. I love that. Probably goes back to our childhood, you know, financial insecurity and not knowing if you come home. Sometimes I'll come home and the lights are off. You know, it'll be the 25th. You're waiting until the first until, you know, the EBT Carver news, yeah. you know? Yeah, I do. I do. I remember we didn't have cable for two years. Uh, we, we used to steal cable. We knew somebody yeah, we used to do it too. Yeah, we used to do it too. <laughs> but, but you know, I'm like, my dad just couldn't afford cable at the time. We, we, yeah. I where we didn't have cars and shit. You know, like this shit is so fucking fucked up and embarrassing, like, you know, in the moment. But then you get older and you realize, like, yeah, my parents, they tried the best they could, man. They did, right. they did the best that they could. What am I going to do? Run through life harboring, uh, you know, and if I do have trauma with it, address it. I have better relationships with my parents now than I ever did when I was a kid. Same, same. And I love them and I appreciate them so much. So so whenever I talk about them and I say that my, my mom was like, oh, she said, we're going to pray for you instead of getting you checked out for ADHD. She did the best that she could with what she knew like like i love them more now like it's okay. hard to be a parent and you know it too in your field there's a lot of blame that goes on that's why i love therapy because i get to blame everybody else you know what i mean I'm just, you know right. what I mean? and, and because your mom you were, yeah yeah i was like oh well my mom like did this and shit but like right. once you kind of get to that point in therapy where you kind of realize like listen these people were trying to do the best that they could with right. what they had so let's try to let go of some of that resentment just to make me a better person Right. You no, know, I think the word selfish gets a negative connotation a lot. I think in times people have to understand in life, you have to be selfish a good amount of the time. Yeah. You have to be selfish to be selfless. It is taking care of yourself, whatever that means. Yes. See, that's why you're a doctor and you nailed it. And I was over here just mumbling words together. That's what it is. I wanted to ask before we got out of here. Well, it's kind of like a two parter. So a lot of women like don't get diagnosed with ADHD because now every time I think of ADHD, I do think of like some little boy, like bouncing off the walls. Yeah. And then why do you think that's a thing? You just nailed it. You know, when you think of ADHD, you think of the young hyperactive boy who's yeah. like bouncing from, from wall to wall, who you have to put in the back of the class, you know, and ADHD was kind of, it was kind of thought as a, a little boy's disorder, not even for adults, you know? So yeah. for women, a lot of times they present, you know, with an inattentive type where they're kind of like quiet and they're disorganized, but like you'll see them kind of shuffling for things and you might see them like pick up something and then, uh, you know, but, and they might be struggling, but nobody would ever know it. So they mask to get through life mm. and they figure out, cause they don't know it's ADHD. They don't know that they have to go talk to a doctor or somebody. So they figure out ways to cope. You know, and as you get older, sometimes it turns into drugs or, or sex or impulsive behaviors that you didn't anticipate on doing, but you just did the best that you could with what you knew at that time. So there's this whole movement where we're talking about ADHD and women. And I looked in my DMs and sometimes like, I mean, I get goosebumps because like it'll be women, you know, in the 30s, you know, 40s saying, I saw this video. I went to a doctor and they told me that they told me about my life and this is what's been affecting me my whole life. Hmm. And they're like, thank you. So they're so grateful. And that means a lot to me. And I'm grateful that I get to put that information out there. No, for sure. And it's like, you know, a lot of that stuff too. It's like undiagnosed stuff. Like 
especially like ADHD, like that could turn into like another topic you talk about, like functional depression. Yeah, there's a huge link between the two of those, ADHD and depression. There's a huge link. And there's even a link between ADHD and suicidal ideation. People don't know that. Mm. So it's not something that you can just kind of like, oh, they have ADHD. I know they'll focus eventually. Let them get to it. No, it's something that needs to be addressed as soon as possible. You know, and people don't know that. If you have ADHD, you're more likely to be depressed. You're much more likely to be depressed. See, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. But, you know, I, I've done my Googles. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know you do a bunch of TikToks on emotional abuse. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to laugh at it. But uh-huh. I do, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, yeah, we live in like such a, uh, I have to see it happen for it to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you hear, when you, again, it's almost like uh, the kid with ADHD. It's like, when you hear like abuse, you think of like some dude punching his wife in the face right? or vice versa, or they're just having fucking, you know, Monday night raw, like out in the front lawn, you know, what are some of the like key elements kind of when it comes to like a, recognizing emotional, emotional abuse, because we talk about gaslighting on here, but like that term right. is so fucking vague. Like, a right. lot of people are, are gaslit, gaslit into the definition of gaslit. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, that's just kind of right. like gaslighting is, but like, what are some of like, some of the things that should be recognized in emotional abusive relationships? So the way I say is the first thing to do is to really kind of know, if you don't know your boundaries, it's going to be hard to recognize anything. People can pull stuff on you really fast. So it's good to know what you will accept and what you won't accept. So I tell people that's step one. When you know that, then you can kind of tell when things aren't going correctly, right? So if you're somebody who you like to spend a lot of quality time with your partner, like the skit I posted where the guy gives a girl $200, he's like, oh, find a social life, right? That was neglect, you know? And it doesn't work the other way around, or it may not work the other way around. Because if, let's say, my girlfriend comes and gives me $200 and says, have a, a fun time, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get dirt bikes with the, the guys. I'm going to have a yeah, good yeah. time. You know, but for the girl in the skit, like she wanted to spend quality time with her partner, but he neglects her. He puts her down by saying, don't you have any friends? There's an element of shame there, you know? So when you go through emotional abuse, it's something that your partner will say or do to you that'll make you feel less than, and it can be extremely subtle, you know? And a lot of times it'll be repeated over and over. Like when you let somebody get away with something, whether it's intentional or unintentional, they're going to keep doing that, right? So if you don't like your partner, you know, saying something bad about your family, they may throw it in as like a backhanded joke. You might laugh about it, you know, but we've all been in situations where we're laughing and we're like, hold up, are they laughing with me or at me? You know, like, are they making fun of me? That shit rocks your soul too. You're like, oh. When you realize you're like, oh, hold up. It didn't feel too good that, I'm like, ah, I don't know if they're on my side. If you have to question whether they're on your side or not, they could have been saying things to you over time, you know, and making fun about things that, you know, you're not, confident about if, if if you're not secure about your height you know throwing some backhanded compliments or jokes about that or or talk about your skin color or or money a lot of times with guys that's what we get insecure about so okay. she might make a comment yeah 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 no i felt that in my soul she might make yeah, a comment bro, no yeah dude those are the ones oh, that so. yeah because like exactly what you were saying it's like when it comes to those like stereotypical like manhood things yeah if those get brought to us, God damn, dude. Yeah. Like I'm from New York and like a big thing here is like, if you tell someone like suck your dick, like you have to be willing to die. Like that's a big, that's a big thing here. You know what I mean? So like, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. People. I would imagine, but I didn't know it was like that. 
Oh, it's terrible. That's like the worst thing you could say to someone here in New York. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. So if you're ever here, you get into like a little argument with people. Try not to do that one because like people are just willing to throw their lives away over that. As men, we have this idea of like what we're supposed to be like. And when those get challenged, they hurt so yeah. bad. Yeah. It, it hurts. It hurts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have a fresh mouth. I need to learn to be nicer with my mouth. But it starts with being nicer to yourself because you have to forgive yourself for everything in the past first. Mm. You know, and, and that's something I struggle with because I think I'm pretty careful with my words. But every now and then, like I've said some stuff. Normally, it's like when I'm tired and, I, and then I turn into an asshole. I've said some stuff and I'm like, damn, that wasn't nice. And to be yeah, honest, there's, there's a, a feeling like right after, too. Yeah. No, there's a, a rep at YouTube. You know, I have memes with YouTube, Instagram and talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. content. There's a rep at YouTube. I don't say her name, obviously, but my publicist and I had me with her in December. And for whatever reason, I told my, my publicist that. Somebody must have peed my Cheerios that morning, but I was rude that morning. And she she was even like, and it, it wasn't me. Out of character, yeah. Yeah. I had to book another appointment to like apologize. I'm like, I feel so awful. I'm like, that's not me. For some reason, I was like, I was just standoffish and it was like, oh, but I have to forgive myself for that so I can move on and mm. then I can work on stuff in, in the future. But forgiving yourself can be hard. Apologies go a long way, especially once yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Those are like kind of like the best apologies. If you can right. truly forgive yourself for a lot of shit, a lot of doors open for you. It's a, it, yeah. it is very true. Right. It is very true. Easier said than done, but it's necessary. Yes, 100%. Listen, Doc. All right. I've taken enough of your time today. I appreciate you, though. Dr. Kojo, where can everybody find you on the internet? Please promote your book. Everything, anything you want to promote, please let us know where to find it. All right, so you can find me on TikTok at Dr. Koto Sarfo. Same thing on YouTube, YouTube Shorts, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I guess Instagram is kind of like the main place we go to. Instagram, uh, Facebook. My book is Feeling Good. It's a mental health workbook. It talks about setting healthy boundaries, being nice to yourself so you can be nice to other people. It's sold in, in bookstores, wherever they sell books. And also you can get it online. Or you can get my Instagram page and click the link in the bio. And it'll have the book there. And next week, I start live streaming again, Tuesdays and, and Thursdays at nine o'clock, your time, six o'clock, my time. Also, I do plan to have comedy shows this year. And after talking to you, I, I'm more inspired to like to get it in action. So don't worry, we, about, yeah, don't, worry about, don't worry about what anybody else says. Just go for it. I said it on the podcast. So now I have to do it. Yeah. Now I'm going to hold it to you. I'm going to hold yeah. it to you. So listen, guys, please check out Dr. Kojo. You could also go to his website, kojosarfo.com. That's K-O-J-O-S-A-R-F-O.com. And, you know, thank you so much again for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Last question of the day, as always, is are you happy today? I am happy today. Yeah, I'm content. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's it. That's it. And thank you guys for watching the show. This has been Off the Cuff, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate, entertainment. Ah!